I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warmer brotherly low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Kiss Kiss Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you. We're going to keep it to two parts because we had a great chat with Terrence Oglesby of the Field of 68, former Clemson sharpshooter, now doing a great job in the media realm. And we're going to be talking with him about a few teams that are dealing with ailments. We're going to be hitting upon Duke, Texas Tech, and Clemson is alma mater because P.J. Hall is dealing with an injury. What can we expect out of Clemson if he is slash is not out there on the court? Derek Whitehead of Duke how much his injury might set Duke behind the eight ball and what he all brings to the table for the Blue Devils. And then the one that happened most recently, Fardos Amick, he's going to be out the fold for Texas Tech, how they're going to try to maneuver without him. And he also has a little bit of a surprise team that he's got number two in the ACC. It is not Duke. He's got North Carolina number one, but it is not Duke at number two. So we're going to be diving into that as well. So we're going to have a great chat with Terrence. And if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you have every question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, if you got one or two ways to be able to throw this in. First one is my Twitter timeline at one. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other way, that is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. We still got conference previews on tap for you. We've got the Power Six and then the American and the A10. We're going to be doing that over the next month to get you set for what is going to be an amazing college basketball season. And along the way, we're going to be having great chats with folks like Terrence as well. Going to keep this one relatively short and then get into the chat with Terrence X here on Cusco Seeks with myself, Greg Experience, and I'm part of the Houston Family Podcast. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here, lovely Las Vegas, for Kiss to Kiss Hoops with myself, Greg Eapspears, and now part of the Easton family of podcasts. It is always great to get this guest on the podcast as Terrence Oglesby does absolutely amazing work as an analyst over at the field of 68. You may recall he did great work as a college basketball player himself over there at Clemson. Now he does a great job 
covering the game of college basketball that we love. And he's still out there in the great state of South Carolina, holding it down there. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at the letter T underscore. And then his last name, Oglesby, spelled O-G-L-E-S-B-Y. And then the number 22. And Terrence, it's always great to have you aboard, my friend. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Outside of my fantasy team, just absolutely going under. It's been a great Sunday. So thank you so much for having me, Greg. We're getting closer. I think six weeks from tomorrow, there will be college basketball. I think I saw Rothstein tweet that out. We're getting closer. And gosh, I can't wait for it to get here. Yep, I need it as well because much like you, my fantasy team is not doing well myself. I'm sure that the people do not want to hear about my well, lack of fantasy football success in the, unless they want to feel a little bit better about themselves. But I guess that there are some fan bases that can feel a little bit better about themselves as well because there are some big-time teams that are dealing with injuries right now, and I think the biggest is Fardas Amek. He breaks his foot. He's going to be out for quite a while for Texas Tech. Obviously, we don't know the exact extent of how long he's going to be out, but I mean, with a broken foot, you got to figure that it's going to be quite a while. And being someone that is foot eleven and very versatile like him because with Amek, Not only was he in the top three in terms of rebounds per game each of the last two seasons at Utah Valley, he shot over 40% from three-point range. So, guy could do it all. And for Texas Tech, I think the real question becomes, what sort of a style do they play now that their projected starting five men is out of the fold? You know, it's tough. And I hate it for Baccio, or not for Baccio, that's his replacement. But I hate it for Amick enough because this is a guy that went to Utah Valley a little bit out of shape. And he's turned his body into something that is formidable, even in the Big 12 Conference, which is going into the year, Greg, I think is going to be the best conference in college basketball. All 10 teams have potential to make the tournament, maybe except for Oklahoma. And I'm looking over their roster now, and it doesn't look too promising. But outside of that, that is a difficult conference to play in. And Amick, the broken foot really hurts because he gives you an offensive weapon, both inside and out. He's got terrific hands. He's patient in the post. He gets the ball inside. He uses a plethora of ball fakes. And he would have worked well with what they have coming back. And you mentioned 43.5% from three last year. That's not something he did prior to last year. So he's developed his game and gotten better and better. He made 20 last year off of 46 attempts. He's somebody that has worked on his game, has worked on his body, has really improved, and there was a lot to look forward to if you're a Red Raider fan. Now you're going to have to look at Daniel Bacho. While he hasn't scored that much at Texas Tech, he has shown the ability to come in in spot minutes and play his role. But offensively, you know just as well as I do, Greg, he doesn't pose that same threat that Amick does. But Bacho's a solid replacement in his own right. 6'11", 240, big, strong kid, fits their defensive system well, and he's going to get extended minutes. And that could help blossom his confidence to another level to where offensively he might be able to show a little bit more. But this is a huge blow to a Texas Tech program, especially uh, during the non-conference portion of the season. No question. That's a really difficult pill to swallow if you're Texas Tech. But what I look at right now is Kevin O'Banner and what he's going to be able to do this season. Because we recall when he was on Oral Roberts and that team that made the Sweet 16, he was Mr. Do-It-All for them, a great free-throw shooter that could really stretch a floor, pop some threes. And he played a little bit more in the post-live season. He really fit what Texas Tech was looking to do because his style wasn't necessarily – What Texas Tech was always looking for, they are looking for versatility, but at the same time, Texas Tech, as we both know, a defense first school. Oral Roberts, they were very much a shoot first, ask questions later sort of team as well. And 
I think that his game is one that I'm most curious about for this upcoming season with the injury. Well, I mean, he's going to be relied on heavily. And I think the big portion to look at, if you look at his statistics, he was a lot more reliant on the three ball than he has been in past seasons. They've been more of a pick and pop, playing more on the wing. They're four out. That's one thing about the Red Raiders. They're four out and they're looking to attack the basket and draw fouls. Well, he had to rely more so on his three ball. And a lot of guys, if they're not getting more shots inside and getting a rhythm and getting to the free throw line, they tend to struggle with their percentages from beyond the arc. And he could have qualified as that guy. Now, him being the main scoring option on that team going into this year, that could change some things, especially in how he attacks the basket. And I think he needs to do a little bit more of that. It's all rhythm-based. And I was a guy that was rhythm-based when I played. If I was struggling, if I got a couple of layups, if I was able to get to the free throw line, see the ball go in the basket, then I could get my footing back. However, at Texas Tech, a little bit slower of a pace. You're more clued in on the defensive end than they were at Oral Roberts. And it's interesting to see how that's going to continue. But he has all the tools in order to have success. He shoots the ball at a high rate. 34% is low for him. 33 and 34% for him is low. I see him more as a north of 40% guy, a guy who can make shots, can create a little bit of offense. It's just doing so with consistency in the Big 12, conf- in the Big 12 Conference where there are just so much length in defense and older dudes. It can make it difficult at times. But O'Banner, for Texas Tech to start out right, he's going to have to be really good. And if he's able to get to the free throw line as well, he's a tremendous free throw shooter as well. And that's a good way to be able to get points up on the board as well. As joining me on the podcast, we do have Terrence Oglesby. He does a great job over at the Field of 68. And Terrence, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, the fact that you're from the great school of Clemson. And the one question I've got right now with Clemson is P.J. Hall because he has the knee injury. And we've been noting that he underwent surgery towards the offseason, but There's still really no timetable for his return as far as I'm seeing. If you've got something else, let me know. But I've been seeing from a lot of media reports that there's really no telling when he's going to be able to come back. And I think that this is really big for Clemson because P.J. Hall, 15.5 points per contest, a guy that he himself stands about 6'10", is able to stretch a floor. And without him, I fear that Clemson in an ACC that we've talked about a few times on this podcast is much more deep this year than it's been in past years, might have some struggles especially early on during the season and even if Hall is able to go night number one you got to fear that some of the chemistry might not be there because Clemson has had to overhaul that backcourt a little bit from last season as well well I will say this about Clemson this year their guard play is going to be their biggest question mark who's going to run the point guard position because you lose Alamir Dawes transfers out to Seton Hall you lose Nick Honor transfers to Mizzou those were your two point guards and then in the offseason, you have a big signing with Jalen Llewellyn. Everybody's really excited. And then an assistant coach departs. He decides to back out of his commitment. He signs at Michigan. Michigan gets a really good point guard. Clemson's left kind of scratching their head. Now, you're able to pull a rabbit out of your hat by signing Dylan Hunter, who's a top 150 kid coming out of high school. Was originally a commit to Baylor. Really talented kid. Doesn't have a ton of explosiveness, but he's got good size at about 6'4". This is the biggest difference between this year's team and last year's team. Last year's team was really, really small, especially around the perimeter. This year's team, guard play is going to be a lot bigger. They're going to be able to see the skip pass. So that means when P.J. Hall is posting up or double teaming from the backside, they're going to be able to make that pass over the top. That's going to make a huge difference for Clemson this year, but they're going to have to do it without turning the ball over. That scares me, especially when you have freshmen playing at that lead guard spot. That scares me. It's going to be interesting to see how that works. That being said, going back to P.J. Hall – This is one of the best players in the country nobody talks about. 
I mean, he can get it in the post. He can fan it out. He can score a lot. Man, his scoring was on full display in their last contest against Virginia Tech. At the end of the game, he just made big play after big play after big play. He has legitimate size. He's a legit 6'10", 240. Now, I did go to practice a few weeks ago. He is generally pretty optimistic about his timetable. That being said, he's a fairly optimistic guy all the time. So I'm not sure how much stock I can put into it. That being said, there's nobody working harder to get back on the court. And the hard thing about what PJ is going through is after last season, he had foot surgery. So there was no summer for PJ Hall. And then he comes back full go. Now he has to have another surgery coming into the season. He basically comes in to this 22-23 season, no summer practice, no fall practice. He's going to start practicing fairly close to the start of the season. How quick is he going to be able to get into the rhythm? Because he's basically been off the court since March. That concerns me. That being said, he's part of the offense. He's such a focal point because of what he brings to the table. The faster he gets back and acclimated to this Clemson team, the better this team's going to be long-term because they really need him. No question about it. And with Clemson, we're all asking about the question marks on offense because as we know, Clemson, they aren't going to be kicking up the tempo. This is not going to be a team that's looking to get into a bunch of shootouts. But I do feel like there's a little bit of a question mark with Clemson as well because last year, Clemson, just in terms of sheer points allowed on a per-possession basis, they were right around 200th, officially 198th according to team rankings. And I take a look at this Clemson bunch, and I do think that it's going to be very important for them to just be able to guard on the inside because when it comes to their guard play this season, it is going to be a little bit more suspect. I do expect opponents' three-point shooting percentage to be up a little bit, if nothing else, not even necessarily due to the defense itself, just due to playing against better guards of the ACC in general because this is a new-look ACC. This is a better-look ACC, in my opinion, and just in being able to deny the ball in the post a little bit, I think that P.J. Hall would be missed in that aspect as well. Well, they have Ben Middlebrooks, who has significant size, plays hard on the defensive end. He's not a terrific offensive threat, but he's getting there. Now, here's the thing. I tend to disagree a little bit with you, Greg. Not all the way, because there's no way to see into the future. But the reason I would venture to guess that Clemson's a better defensive team, especially guarding the three-point lines, because of that length I just said, right? So you bring in Dylan Hunter, 6'4". You bring in Josh Beadle, who redshirted last year. He's going to play a little bit more, 6'3". 6'4", you bring in Chauncey Wiggins, some younger players that provide some of that ample length. They're a bigger team. They're going to be able to cover more ground. And defensively, you know Brad Brownell is going to put guys in the right spot. So that would be my only words to combat what you're saying. That being said, the youth, it provides me, a Clemson alum, with a lot of worry. If the youth is able to learn a lot going into December and at the beginning of conference play, it could be a better team. I feel like this team physically fits what Brad Brownell likes to do a lot better. Still young. P.J. still hasn't been on the floor since March. It's going to be interesting to see. There are question marks there. And P.J. Hall, like we said, I mean, a 15 and a half point per game guy at Clemson. That's more like averaging, like, I would say 18, 19 points per game at a team with more of a normal tempo. Just because Clemson, they do like to play a little bit more low and slow. They're looking to play games in the 60s. If they have a game that gets into the 70s, that's a very high scoring game for them. As you're me on the podcast we do have Terrence Oglesby does great work over at the field of 68. And then speaking of the ACC, another big injury. And this one should not linger too much into the season, but I do think that it is very noteworthy. It is Derek Whitehead. And it looks like Derek Whitehead should be probably cleared towards the very, very back half of practices. He probably misses like a game or two. He might wind up not playing in that Champions Classic game, but that's a Derek Whitehead should be able to play for much of the season, but I still do have a few concerns with this just because with Derek Whitehead, I feel like he's the most 
I guess you call it natural scorer for Duke. He may not be necessarily the most physical player, but at the same time, he's just a bucket getter, for lack of a better term, for Duke. And with having so many young players for Duke, they bring back Jeremy Roach, but they've got a lot of highly touted freshmen like Kyle Filipowski and company. I do think that this is something worth monitoring, and it could lead to a little bit of a shaky start for Duke. Well, what I will say about Duke is, you know, they are super talented, but there is not somebody on this Duke team that is the same as Apollo Bancaro, for example, somebody who's going to really be able to get the ball and create on his own. They have a lot of really, really good pieces. And I think the key to this Duke team is going to be Jeremy Roach. I thought he really came on the back half of last year, especially the last six or seven games of the season for the Blue Devils. I thought he was terrific. I think him moving into the primary ball handler role, it's going to open up some things. But if you look at their roster, Derek Lively's terrific. I think he's DeAndre Jordan with a workable jump shot. This kid is really, really talented. Now, is it going to turn into production right away? That's to be determined, right? He was the number one player in the ESPN 100. Derek Whitehead, who we talk about being injured, going into the back half of practice, he's finally going to get going again. He was the number two player in the country. Like Duke's talent level for this class is elite, but I'm not sure there's a Palo Bancaro in the bunch. It's a lot of really good pieces. They're going to have to rely on a lot of ball movement, and that might be something that helps Derek Whitehead coming back from injury. He doesn't have to be relied on to go get one right away, right? This ball is going to pop. It's going to move around the perimeter. Jeremy Roach is going to do the, the, the majority of the playmaking early, especially in screen and roll situations. With Lively, there's guys around him that can make plays, and Derek Whitehead was part of that Montverde Academy team that was with Scotty Barnes and Kate Cunningham and all these NBA top five draft picks. He was one of the best high school teams in history. He knows how to jump in and play a role with a team with a lot of talent. I think that's going to work to his advantage. And then as the season goes on, you head into December, you're going to see the real Dariq Whitehead pop out and be able to really score like you alluded to. But not somebody that's going to create in isolation situations, more somebody who's going to get a lot of closeouts and be able to attack that way and get into the mid-range and attack the rim with his elite athleticism. That ball is going to pop a little bit more for this Duke team because of the players they have and how they fit together. So I think that'll end up helping Dariq Whitehead in the long term. And I think that Dariq Whitehead is a little bit of a better form of A.J. Griffin from last year as well. And A.J. Griffin was someone that missed a few games towards the beginning of the season last year. And then in that first game, especially against North Carolina, remember, he was just thundering the ball in from three-point range. I think he had like eight or nine threes in that game as well. And I just take a look at this Duke team, and I personally have them number two in the ACC. I think that's just so hard to go against a North Carolina team that they made the national title game last season. They bring in Pete Nance to replace Brady Manick, and Manick was really the lone loss. Meanwhile, Duke, a little bit of a new-look team. But when it comes to the back half of the season as well, if Duke is able to find this chemistry, and if John Shire is able to do a good job of holding it down for Coach K, I do think that Duke might be one of, if not the most dangerous team in all of college basketball, just because in terms of talent and talent alone, I think that they honestly might be a little bit better than North Carolina. But I think the question mark is just chemistry with so many young players and obviously a first-year coach in John Shire that has learned from the best but has never been the main guy in that front seat. Well, there's a big difference between sliding one seat down from where he was at, I can assure you. Everything's going to be on his shoulders. And now he has absolute – like you said, he has absolute talent. But this is kind of something we allude to every year, right, especially since the – the one and done was implemented at the NBA level. Like veterans win basketball games early. 
talent wins basketball games late once talent figures out how to play and how to how to achieve at the college level. That takes time. You're going to have to have some bumps in the rows in order to really reach some of your guys, no matter what the talent level is. And it is abundant at Duke. That's the big thing. You're going to have bumps in a row with this Duke team. That being said, the ACC champion champions every year are determined by the ACC tournament, not the regular season. So that's a big thing to consider, especially in that conference. Duke could certainly be in the running for that, especially if they're clicking on all cylinders and they're playing like they're puzzle pieces. That team fits. It's a matter of how quickly they're going to fit all those pieces together. Derek Lively, rim presence. Kyle Filipowski, skilled foreman who can step out and shoot the ball. Uh, Derek Whitehead, scorer on the wing. Mark Mitchell, super athlete. Jaden Shoot, excellent shooter. Grandison, transfer from Illinois, terrific shooter. And then they've got guys that fill in around it. I love their roster makeup. Because not only do you have these super talented freshmen, but Shire and company went and brought in some older veteran pieces that can kind of help you limp through and figure it out early. Now, how fast they get it is how good their record's going to be. So I actually have Duke third in the preseason because I think there's going to be some bumps in the road. I have North Carolina one. I have Virginia two. Virginia is one of the more underrated teams in the country heading in. Last season, I feel like I said it a million times, they're a year away. The Virginia Cavaliers are here now. They are really, really good, led by Reese Beekman, who I think is one of the best players in the country. And with Virginia, they bring back so much experience from a season ago, and I really do feel like Virginia has done a good job of recruiting because when you think of teams that are bringing in a bunch of five-star guys, you think of Duke, you think of North Carolina, you're able to go down the line, Kentucky, obviously, the SEC schools, but you really don't think about Virginia. But what Virginia has done is brought in a lot of guys that they aren't going to be one-and-done guys. They're not going to be going to the NBA right away, but they get those guys that they're rated like number 60, number 70 in terms of your top 100 that you find on ESPN, 247 Sports, on 3 Sports. You're able to go down the line of the recruiting bases, and I think that this is the way to go, and that's what really led to success for Virginia as well back when Jay Wright was there. You wouldn't have a lot of one-and-done guys for Villanova, but Villanova would have a lot of these guys in their third, fourth, and now fifth year for a lot of them. And I think that's just such a smart model for Virginia because not only do they have talent, but they've got talent that they're able to develop for a few years rather than saying goodbye to someone that's a superstar that's going to be going in the NBA lottery, which is nice to have for one year. But I would personally rather be able to mold a guy for a few years get them to play in that system, and then have that talent when they're a junior and senior really being able to come to its, I guess you'd call it, fullest of powers. Look at Kansas this year. Christian Braun, Chai Baji, those are guys that were there for a long time. And what happens? You have big wings that can shoot the ball and score. I think big wings in college basketball who can score it. Those are the guys that are going to win games for you. They're the turning point. Everybody's big. If you get to the highest level, Final Four, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, everybody has a point guard. Everybody has a big who can play. What wings stand apart? I think Virginia finally has some of those guys. And kind of to allude to your point, Armand Franklin, 11 11 points a game last year, and it was a bad 11 points a game. He shot miserable percentages. But that being said, the previous season at Indiana, he was a 40% guy from three. It might have taken him a year to figure out how to play in that system and to be efficient in that system. Look for Armand Franklin to have a good season. Reese Beekman is one of the best point guards in the country. He still has to share it with Kihei Clark, but Reese Beekman 
is a guy that can make it happen. He has elite quickness. Caden Shedrick averaged seven points a game last year. Can shoot the ball from the outside, extremely athletic, a defensive presence. And then you still bring back Kihei Clark and Jaden Gardner. This is a good team that has pieces. And then not, not only that, they bring in a bunch of guys in that 40 to 70 range. That's the sweet spot for college athletics now. Get those guys. Hang on to them for three years. By their junior year, they're really effective, especially come tournament time. This Virginia team's here, and they're going to be really good, and they're not going to drop many. They're not going to have many off nights because that style of play that they employ allows for off-shooting nights, and they can still be good. Look for Virginia to make runs the entire year and make a run at an ACC regular season. I totally agree with you. And with Virginia, you know that the defense is going to be there, which was down a little bit from last year because they had to bring in guys like a Jaden Gardner via the transfer portal, and they were trying to learn a little bit of a new form of defense. Now that these guys have been in the system for another year, I do think that they're going to be able to blossom. I don't know if they're blossoming quite as much as your media career, though, Terrence, because you do absolutely amazing work over there at the Field of 68. I know you guys over there at the Field of 68 did the Almanac, which is coming out actually as I record this podcast today. I know that you guys did a lot of work with that along with the gentlemen of Heat Check CBB and Three Man Weave, and I know you're doing an amazing job of getting set for the upcoming season. So let the good people at home know what's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Well, to be honest with you, Greg, I can't take credit for the Almanac because I was not a part of that. That's more the Heat Check guys and the Three Man Weave guys. But let me assure you, that is going to be an excellent product that comes out. So to give them the publicity they deserve, it's going to be a great product. So make sure you check that out. It is going to be the best. They've talked to all 360-something coaches in Division One, and they got everybody's input. I think it's going to be a fantastic product that's definitely worth picking up. It's going to be different than anything that's been out so far. So make sure you look at that. You can find me on Twitter at T underscore Oglesby 22. As for the upcoming season, I'm going to be working with the field of 68. I'm about to put out some previews personally every day starting October 1st. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And then after that, I'm just waiting and searching for the shows that I can do and games that I can do. So it's a patience game right now. And we're still looking around, but Greg, I appreciate you. Like always, I love coming on and talking college hoops and we're getting closer, my friend. So thanks again. Yes, sir. We are. And Terrence is doing a great job getting set for what is going to be an absolutely amazing college basketball season. Terrence is a man that has played the game. So he knows all the ins and outs. And when it comes to this podcast, he always gives great insights. A big thanks to Terrence for joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. Amy does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. I'm coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. During the offseason, we're giving you news and notes of college basketball along with these conference previews. We're going to have more on the way, and I think that we're probably going to have the Big East up within the next few days, so be on the lookout for that. And then once we get in-season picks and analysis on every single game, every single day, so I will chat at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.